Hey, you're listening to Soundside. I'm Libby Denkman. Stephanie Williams remembers the first time she was in the presence of a wolverine. They were a mythological creature for most people because most people will never see them. But I was lucky to see their tracks. Stephanie was ski touring with her husband just east of Stevens Pass, and she saw some large paw prints in the snow. My curiosity was sparked right away that we were sharing habitat with this creature that also seemed to be sort of plain. Like, what what the heck, you know, were they doing in this place? It didn't seem like there was a whole lot of food around. I really didn't know anything about wolverines at that time. She immediately felt some affinity for the animal. For one, she was from Michigan, called the Wolverine State, even though the animal was eradicated from the Midwest. But Stephanie also worked in the outdoor industry, and wolverines share the spaces she loves, rugged, snowy mountains. That drew me into applying what I know about how to get around in the mountains on skis to trying to learn about an animal that uh, really represents wildness. Stephanie is the co-founder of the Cascades Wolverine Project, an organization of field scientists and outdoor enthusiasts based in the Metau Valley who track the animal via remote cameras. Wolverines south of the Canadian border were recently, just last week, listed as threatened by U.S. Fish and Wildlife. Knowing the health of the population, though, is difficult. Wolverines are the largest member of the terrestrial weasel family. They look kind of like a small bear, lower to the ground. And because of their scarcity and reclusive habits, they are incredibly difficult to study. It's an information gap the Cascades Wolverine Project is trying to fill. One of the reasons that there's so little information is because it's really hard to get into their habitat. And it's really best to do it at the most inconvenient time of the year, which is the winter. And you're crossing avalanche paths, you're dealing with the cold, you know, there's no cell service. (laughs) So you're really in a very wild setting in order to set up what we do, which is remote camera stations in the middle of the winter. So we use a variety of means of travel. Sometimes it's a snowmobile approach for half an hour to an hour, sometimes longer, because these things get stuck. And then we're skinning on ski touring equipment. So we're skiing uphill for maybe an hour, sometimes two hours, depending on how energetic we are or how heavy the loads are. And starting in January and running the cameras, usually through spring, sometimes into the summer. But you can't guarantee that a wolverine is going to come to that camera, right? What do you do to bring them out, to, to lure them out to the camera? Yeah, you need something. So wolverines, I, I wonder, I think, I guess that they really see the world through their nose. They smell everything. They have a greater sense of smell than a dog, a greater sense of smell than a grizzly. Oh, so wow. if you put a little bit of a like a scent lure, especially if it has like a skunky scent to it, something that can carry a long distance and you put a little bit of meat, we use, we have a, a lot of roadkill deer in our area. So we'll put a little bit of a food, like a a short range attractant. And that combination of a long range attractant, the skunky smell and the roadkill deer, the food bait will draw a wolverine in from miles away, potentially. And then we have like, it's like an obstacle course to get them into a particular position (laughs) for our cameras. It's called a run pole. And it's just a pole that's about three feet long mounted to a tree. And at the end is a is a DNA collection device, just something that will grab onto their hair. And then a, a crossbar so that they'll put their their forelegs, their their paws up on this bar. 
and reach for the meat that's dangling above them. Usually we try to make it so they can't actually get the meat so that it'll last a little bit longer. And then our remote camera will take a picture of this posture and it'll show that Wolverine's chest blaze. And that tells us who the individual is because every Wolverine's chest blaze is unique. Wow. So you really have to have like the photography setup. I mean, you need them to get into the best pose. Like this is sort of like your, you're like remote fashion photographers trying to like convince the model to just do the pose by itself. <laughs> and and it works. I mean, it, it, it happens. It works. It doesn't work. Most of the time it doesn't work. <laughs> if we get like one Wolverine detection in a season, we consider that a success. We have 10 to 12 stations out there. And then some winters we've had four to five different detections, sometimes more. But, you know, a Wolverine's home range is enormous. So we probably have, we haven't analyzed our data yet, but we probably have only detected like four to six individuals over six years. <laughs> and if we get a couple images of each of them each year, like that's a pretty high success rate. So it's a lot of effort to learn a little bit about an animal um, that is that we have an immense amount of respect for um, and we're trying to learn more about. I'm looking on your website at some of the snaps and they're gorgeous. I mean, the lighting, everything, it's impeccable. You can see that chest blaze, the fur and the distinctive pattern. What does it feel like when you finally get that Wolverine snap and you realize that you can identify the individual Wolverine? Well, it's incredibly exciting because most of the time it isn't exciting <laughs> most of the time we get there you know and things are broken or just need maintenance so when it all comes together it's like pure magic you know it's just like i feel like i i, I could like lift off of the ground for a moment there and you know we've had a couple different phases to our project we're community led and so we were actually trying to get data but we're also setting up like real studio equipment for <laughs> photography for the first five years of the project, we set up our stations in such a way that we could get images of these animals in their natural habitat without all of the extra research gear so that we could make that kind of connection with people so that people actually care. At this point, our stations are all converted to a slightly like less interesting composition because there's a run pole and there's a DNA collection device. And so it was really fun to do that photography. David Moskowitz is my co-founder and he's a wildlife photographer. So he had a setup with actual flashes that all went off remotely. And we had to very precisely put the bait and the camera and the flashes and do a lot more maintenance <laughs> on these things in order to get those images. So those are really special. Um, and at this point, we're, we're focusing more on the research, but that it turned out to be a really good tool to connect with people and to help us with storytelling so that people who grow up like yourself in Washington have some kind of image in their head and they know that these incredible animals live up in the mountains. Wolverines were essentially eradicated from their historic range in the United States in the 20th century. What is their status today in Washington state and how are they doing overall? In Washington state, we're really fortunate to be witnessing natural recovery. So wolverines were killed off in the early part of the 20th century. And then in the 1990s, there were more and more reliable reports of wolverines showing up in Washington's Cascades. 
And they were coming from the north. They were coming from British Columbia, from Alberta, potentially from the Rocky Mountains. They were dispersing. And so at this point, it's a bit of a natural experiment to see these animals coming back in, to not really even know how many there are. The educated guess is that there's 30 to 40, but that figure's many years old now. There could be upwards of 50. We really don't know how many wolverines currently live in the Cascades, which makes it pretty challenging to help the species recover, which is now a federal mandate because they're listed as threatened, if you can't track the population trend. So there's a lot of years ahead of us here where, you know, there's a collaborative effort to do a large scale monitoring to determine what the population size is, and then to figure out, you know, for this animal that lives in really low densities, how many animals can you lose before it's like an irreversible decline in the population? In British Columbia and Alberta, the most recent study done in the Rockies and the Columbia Mountains showed a decline in the wolverine population. And that's our source population in the Cascades. So at this point, unless there's an active plan for recovery, we can't really count on the same positive trend currently happening in the Cascade Mountains. So the federal government did announce last week that the wolverine will be listed as threatened under the Endangered Species Act. What does that mean for the wolverine? It means that there's an acknowledgement that wolverines are facing uh, an unpredictable and potentially pretty dire future. Wolverines are snow-dependent species, and the outlook for snowpack, which is required for them to den, to reproduce, in the Cascades across, across the contiguous U.S., the snowpack is in decline with climate change. So wolverine habitat right now is is going to reduce over the coming decades. We don't know. It, there's a lot of questions about how much habitat will be required for the resident population in Washington to be able to persist. There's a lot of questions about cumulative effects of human impacts other than climate change, like uh, industry, roads, recreational activity. So the federal government now has, you know, the the major threat is climate change. So, you know, so that's the first thing that the federal government needs to fix. Uh, very funny. Just the little thing of us having the warmest uh, year on record this past year and continuing to pump uh, global warming gases into the atmosphere. Um, but, but is there any kind of extra support or any kind of change that you see on the horizon that could benefit the wolverine with this new status? The first thing is to be able to actually know what their population is so that we can track trends. So monitoring is very important. And there is a proposal for long-term monitoring that was developed by a collaborative group between the federal, state, tribal, and NGO. We're, we're a member of that group. And ideally, that can now be funded. That's like a 10-year to 20-year long-term monitoring project. And then in the near term, to start to understand what wolverine thresholds are to human activities. So, you know, the impacts from roads and recreation, these are questions that will be need to be answered in order to actually have a path forward for recovery.
And we'll see what the federal government decides to do. You know, when these big moments happen, especially with endangered species listing, it can tend to divide people because it tends to be political. And I just really want to emphasize that we're we're talking about a very wild, incredible creature that is just trying to do its thing. And that at one point, a hundred years ago, we unwittingly killed off this animal from the Cascade Mountains and they became less wild. And so I, I just want to emphasize how fortunate we are that they're coming back to the Cascades and just show a lot of respect for the wildlife that we're lucky enough to share the mountains with. And you can learn more at cascadeswolvereneproject.org. That's the website of Stephanie Williams' organization. She's the co-founder of the Cascades Wolverine Project. Stephanie, thank you very much for sharing your love of this animal and the work that you're doing. I'm captivated by the gallery. And I know, you know, the photos are only one slice of it, but the photos really do help the average person understand just what a wonderful animal this is. Thank you so much for being interested and for having me on. Thanks for listening to Soundside. And hey, this show is only possible because listeners support us. If you are able to give right now, check out the show notes for a link to donate. And don't forget, you can listen live on KUOW 94.9 FM Seattle at noon and 8 p.m. Monday through Thursday or anytime online at KUOW.org.